And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir and Brian, musicians. It's good to be with you and uh, good to worship this morning. Um, stand firm. Stand firm. Uh, what, what a wonderful word. Uh, everybody's done so well. Uh, I sort of hate to get up and risk uh, bringing down the quality, but thank you, Brian, and uh, choir and so on. And you know, wasn't it good to hear from Madison this morning? Um, so now, how do I say this politely, or, or can I? Or you're maybe wondering, does he, does he worry about that kind of thing? Right, right. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I won't speak to our age, um, so let me just say this, maybe that many of us have had children who've grown older, right? And so if we're going to support our young folks tonight at 530 is a great time. And uh, you can see this is not our regular decoration for stage, but it says lots of great things are going on here. And tonight will be one of them. Uh, come and recognize those who have worked with our children, missions and choir uh, we just couldn't have better priorities than worship and mission, and I'm glad, so very glad, uh, that we have these who invest in our, our children to do that. So be a part of that tonight. I would very much encourage you to make a special trip back. I, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John, the 21st chapter. I know we didn't get very far, uh, but uh, we make, we're making progress. And I actually skipped the first part of that chapter, which is the beautiful a uh, really beautiful story about Jesus appearing to his disciples once more uh, the, the third time that John tells us about, and then in Galilee. You know, I've always wondered about a gone fishing sign. I, I was only once troubled by one when I was trying to get my, my daughter in to see a doctor late one Friday afternoon, and I found a gone fishing sign in a doctor's office. Well, it was a little town, what can I say? But for the most part, I'm charmed by the notion. <clears throat> and someday when I grow up, I hope maybe I have the ability to, you know, gear my schedule where I can just all of a sudden say, well, I know this is not my routine, but I'm going to put the sign up and just go fishing. It was Simon Peter's routine to go fishing. It's what he had known. It was his life and his livelihood prior to meeting this person named Jesus. Now, we're not told the timing precisely, but they've had their appearances with Jesus back in Jerusalem, and now back home in Galilee, Simon just says, I think I'll go fishing. They're fishing and fishing, and not much is happening. And there's an instruction that comes to them from the shore. Uh, why don't you just cast the net on the other side? It seems like a ridiculous sort of thing for trained fishermen and so on. But at the same time, obedience to this word yields a grand, grand catch. 153. We don't know what that significance is. Is it, uh, uh, there's later, a, 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 there's an ancient book that actually talks about 153 varieties of fish, but we don't e really expect that in the Sea of Galilee exactly. And they're all called large fish. We don't know what the exact significance of 153 it, 
it, it could be that there were 153 of them, right? It could just be that simple. But all that to say, they recognize Jesus as the one who's on the shore giving the instructions that have yielded such a grand catch. And there's the disciple that Jesus loved, and there's Simon Peter. They've been kind of paired and at times rivaled through the gospel, and this time again they're contrasted. Simon just goes right in and goes ashore, and the others struggle to get back with the big catch. When they get there, they're surprised. Jesus already has a charcoal fire going and seems to have breakfast all ready for them. Get the impression that maybe he ate with them would be the idea. But there's some unfinished business. There's special attention to give to Simon Peter. And it's not going to be easy. You remember in chapter 13, Jesus said things would go awry, that they would lose their heart and lose their ardor and get scared, scatter, run away. Simon, knowing better than Jesus, right, says, oh no, it won't be that way, Jesus. I'll stick with you. I'll stay with you. I'll even die for you. And in fairness, he does pull the sword to protect Jesus in the garden there against great odds. But that was not the kind of faithfulness Jesus needed. And when the time comes, Peter runs, follows from behind, trying not to be associated with Jesus. And again, strangely enough, back in chapter 18, I believe it is, there's this charcoal fire. <laughs> and uh, they start saying, aren't, aren't you one of his? Uh, don't you belong to him? Aren't you with Jesus? And he denies him once. And then second, I think, when he, the second time when he's warming that fire. And then finally a third time. And oh my goodness. What shame must have come over him. There's great sermons to preach, but not today. On maybe contrasting Judas... And then Simon Peter, they both abandon and deny Jesus. Simon Peter doesn't turn his shame in on himself, but he bears it. And finally, we're not told about this, but we know it from what Scripture does say. Finally, he goes back to those very people that saw him abandon Jesus, heard his braggadocious words back in 13, knew how tough he says he was, and then saw him crumble and fold and deny he knew Jesus. The shame of it. Most people, many people, let's say, don't go on in faith because of pride and honor and shame. They feel if something goes wrong that they've blown it and they're never going to show their face again, right? The truth is, I think the picture of faith is more rightly pictured when we picture somebody who, who blows it and then 
drags themselves back to church, facing the same people that saw them below it. I think actually of a woman I pastored on one occasion who had bouts with anger. And these things would go along and then like a powder keg, they would explode. And it wasn't a nice symmetrical kind of explosion. There was shrapnel and collateral damage every direction. She had a sharp tongue. And when this all came about, she would speak vicious, right? Vicious, hurtful things and condemning things and just blurt them out for everyone to hear. She would, in a matter of moments, be so overwhelmed by the vile, hatred things, that, hateful things that came out of her, she would just be crushed. She may disappear for a week, maybe at the longest too, but then she'd come back. She'd come back, often with apologies, but this has happened a number of times. I remember walking into the kitchen on one occasion, and such an explosion had just occurred, and man, there was a shrapnel in the air, and people with big eyes, and they couldn't believe, and a person crying, and this and that, and so on, and it was just one of those episodes. I don't know that we'd be hard on her or maybe merciful. And I, I do want to say to you, there's eventually a time when we ought to make some progress in faith. And I think she had, by the way. But the church didn't hate her or didn't hold this against her. Surprisingly, they were amazingly merciful. And you know, I just wondered if somehow that wasn't something right about the church taking somebody who was broken because she would come back. Come back and say, you know who I am? <laughs> You've seen what I've done. You know what I'm capable of. Is there still a place for me here? Could you, can you put up with somebody like me here? And the, and the church would say without an official vote, but in a very demonstrable, uh, demonstrative way, yes, you're one of us. Come back. And the very person that maybe was in the way of that flying piece of verbal shrapnel was the very person who welcomed her in and patted the seat behind, beside her and said, sit down. And here we can start over again. Here we can have blown it big times, but somehow we can come back and start again. I want to tell you, the faith says you can... Pick up from a shameful mishap, a disastrous display, a cowardly act. Face Jesus, come back to his people, and be restored. Wow, that's pretty remarkable, pretty amazing. Now, did I ever give you the impression it was easy? It's not. Eventually, to be restored in the Christian life, you don't just need to see the embrace of Jesus witnessed in the embrace of your church family. Although it's vital, there's nothing quite 
like it to see the face of Christ and the judgment of Christ embraced by the people of God who welcome you as a struggler back to the fold. But we have an obligation to sort of face Jesus as well. And it's not easy. There's a famous sermon I always wanted to hear. I can't even read you its title. Maybe that's why it stuck out to me. But a loose paraphrase of something like this, I think you'll get the intention. The, the prayer, the sermon title was this. Somebody shoot that um, crazy chicken. I like that title. I wouldn't maybe use the colorful language that I can't repeat for you, but I like the title. Somebody shoot that chicken. It's the idea when that moment of exactly your, the scope of your failure has come down all before you and upon you, and you just wonder, how could I have done that? How could I be here? When I was where I was, and now I'm here. And that's where Simon is. But God bless him. He goes back to that church, to those same people that saw him so betray Jesus. And he hangs out there until finally Jesus and he have a word. Read with me in verse 15 or... Follow along in verse 15 as I read from chapter 21 of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We don't really know what these are. Is it the other uh, disciples? Uh, is it the lifestyle and accoutrements that go along with fishing or whatever? Lots of suggestions. He said to him, Less, Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, Then feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Then I want you to tend my sheep. He said to him now a third time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt, hurt because he said to him now for a third time, do you love me? And he answered him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow, follow me. Now, I have just a word for you. It's not going to be long. You need to pay attention. I can ask you to do all kinds of stuff. I could ask you to go visiting with me. I could ask you to do this, and I could ask you to do that, and form a committee, and spend time, and spend time, hours and hours, and, and you would do a lot of it. 
And frankly, we're going to need to do some of it. The hardest. Do you know one of the hardest things there is for me to tell you is what I'm here to tell you this morning. We need a program. We need some ideas about growing. We need to strengthen. We need to uh, be deliberate about our worship and our fellowship. And, 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 a, and a lot of good things are happening. I'm so grateful. But I want to tell you, we need to be focused and deliberate and committed that we across the church body do this hard work of facing up to Jesus. You know that person you didn't do right, and the next time you see them, you'd almost rather look anywhere, right? Then finally, but finally the, uh, the event happens, and finally you're eye to eye, and, and, and you're looking into their soul, and they're looking into your soul, and this is what happens here with Simon Peter, and he doesn't like it. I just want to say to you, as sweet and wonderful as the fellowship of Jesus is, and to be in his presence, there are times when going before him just requires more courage to be intimate and personal and square up to Jesus and to look Jesus straight on, I just want to say that's hard. But that's what I'm asking you to do. There's something profound and wonderful in what occurs here. And I, I don't, I've heard a lot of good sermons about the words for love and the different words for love and so on. I just have to confess to you, I, I can't make any of those strategies work out. I don't think the significance is there's, there's a subtle change of word or these words are interchangeable. The point, I think, that is unmistakable as John is this. And it wounds Peter. But John tells us that Jesus deliberately reinstates him three times once for each failure. And there's a, a season in our life where the last thing we would want to do is sit down and be quiet and open our Bible and all of a sudden get still and we would look for anything to do, TV or noise or anything, just to distract me, something. I've got to be so busy. I've got to do something else. Because that moment, this moment that Simon Peter's in, and the moment in you, you and I find ourselves in, it's just, it takes courage. But we square up to Jesus. And we sort of acknowledge what we've done. And as hard as that is, I just want to tell you, you stay in there because that's where this fellowship is renewed. And Jesus has some basic questions. And that is, do you love me? You love me? Now, all through this gospel, Jesus has taught about love. And he says, you're going to know about love because eventually you're going to see somebody who loves and somebody who obeys. It's a major theme in the gospel. Maybe this is included in the idea. But he starts with this. Do you love me? Do you love me? And notice the very person who failed so miserably 
is now recommissioned. I've, then I've got a job for you. I don't myself see this as Simon being, Peter being put in, in the place of Jesus, sort of a substitute Jesus. There's still Jesus' flock, but he's going to be the leader in Jesus' absence. I, I don't know that this is what is being commissioned, but I think there is a picture of restoration here. And I think it's not for just Simon Peter. I think it's for every believer. Do you love me? Then I've got something for you to do. Obey me. Follow my instructions. Do what I've asked you to do. Do what I'm commissioning you to do. And I just want to say to you, there's a thousand self-help approaches. The church is full of self-help approaches. I'm not even altogether against the self-help program. I hope you get something that helps you get along with your daily routine and be more efficient and so on. I'm not against you kind of improving or polishing the apple. I just want to say to you, though, this. There's nothing you can do in your own strength to tell me who you are. You don't even know who you are. You don't know where you stand. But you find your way when you square up to Jesus. And as painful as that may be at first, in the stillness of that moment, when you meet Jesus, hang in there. He loves you. He forgives you. And there might be a painful question. Do you love me? But be faithful and true. And Jesus will speak your name. And he'll give you the task. And there's not all the self-help you could do or the success you could accumulate there's a sense, unless you've been in this moment with Jesus, you don't even know who you are. Now, those of you and I in the matter of confession, in the matter of faith, I think we have passed this way before. Maybe this is a, a picture that can be used, first of all, to, to describe what coming to faith is like, right? To stand before Jesus, to face up to Jesus, to acknowledge your failure before Jesus, to receive his commission and to receive your identity and so on. To have him speak over you and charge you. That's maybe the way of describing how you come to faith. But I just want to tell you this. It's not just something you did when you were saved. It's something you do throughout your life. If you're a follower, right? If you're going to be the follower that Jesus asked you to be. And the last words he gives him are, are this. Follow me. And you don't follow Jesus from afar. You don't admire Jesus from way off. You have to be rather personal with Jesus. And so I'm asking you to step forward in your spiritual life. I'm asking that God stir us and move us as a church but I'm asking you as an individual part of this church to be attuned to what the Spirit is telling you and to stand in this place and be still before Jesus. It may be awkward, it may be painful, it may be uncomfortable, but I just want to tell you, you persevere, you stand there, you sit there, you remain there, and eventually you're going to encounter this Jesus. It may be painful at first, but I just want to say what really heals us follows 
Do you love him? Do you have from him a sense of commission about what you're to be about? Have you heard him just say, welcoming you back yet again to hear him say these words and finally to send you out, okay, okay, what I need from you is to follow me. I'm asking you, as a part of your discipleship, as a part of your everyday, to stop and to be still and to meet Jesus. This experience of being current with Jesus and being reflective of this kind of experience of living out the life of Jesus needs to be something that permeates us. It needs to be something that people who are searching for Jesus can kind of sense when they walk in the door without even taking an inventory or or taking a poll. It just needs to be who we are. We need to be practicing it. And if we're asking God to do things in our midst, we've got to start by asking God to do things right here. hang on this is the savior who's died for you and who loves you you face him you tell him you love him you may be blessed to hear your name to be given a charge that's what jesus does with folks who struggle along the way Faith strong and then faith weak, up and then down. God brings us back to himself in Jesus Christ. We are restored and forgiven in love. And we're sent out to be part of what God's trying to do in the world yet again. And I don't know about you. But it is good news that the Jesus who forgave us once of our sins when we came to him is one who restores us again and again and again. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, would you call us to a life of meeting and encountering you? Would you call us to be faithful, to be people who are still and acknowledge your presence and people who meet you. And Lord, it is not our way. It is not easy. It takes a certain boldness, a certain patience, but give us that patience and let us leave this presence with you with the expression of our love and the commissioning And the restoration that comes from only Jesus Christ and the exhortation to follow, follow, and to work and serve. Lord, for this beautiful privilege, we will give you presence. Would you make, Lord, this not our occasional practice? But, Lord, would you deeply grain within us that this would be something you desire for us to do. Make us the people, Lord, who have been in the presence of Jesus. Restore us. Forgive us. We love you. Let us serve you. Give us this privilege 
to be your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.